Hi, everybody. My name is Greg Katz, and welcome to Tuesday's edition of WeRSE.com's Inside the Trojans Huddle, where we tell it like it is. Friends, Inside the Trojans Huddle is a game-like panel discussion that is posted each Tuesday during the season. The huddle features WeRSE columnists, staff writers, and historians. We first start off with the pregame show, where we introduce our panel members for this edition of Inside the Trojans Huddle. Now let's meet Tuesday's panelists, a WeRSE columnist who writes WeRSE.com's The Monday Morass, Yay or nay and Sunday takeaways, in addition to regular season football and basketball reports. He also hosts his own podcast show entitled Locked On USC. Mark Culkin, the editor-in-chief of WeRSC.com, columnist, national recruiting guru, producer and moderator of WeRSC Friday's Four Downs video show and Five Things video show, which is posted on YouTube and WeRSC.com after each and every USC football game, home and away, a graduate of USC. Eric McKenney, a former William Jewell College defensive back and WeRSC columnist who writes the popular WeRSC.com column, Musings with Arledge, and the well-received Musings with Arledge solo video edition. He's a graduate of the USC Law School, Chris Arledge. And a weekly WeRSC columnist who writes Fridays, the obvious, not so obvious, from the press box, IMHO Sunday, the WeRSC.com travel guide and an active member of the Football Writers Association of America your moderator and producer of Inside the Trojan Huddle, Greg Katz. Folks, if you enjoy WeRSC.com's Inside the Trojan Huddle, we thank you and strongly encourage those of you watching on sites like YouTube, click on the like and red subscriber buttons. It's greatly valued and appreciated, and it's free. You can also listen to Inside the Trojan Huddle on most available podcast sites. And friends, speaking of WeRSC.com, we're offering first-time subscribers unlimited premium access for just $1 for one month. If you're not already a full-time premium subscriber, you won't want to miss the USC football website that really does tell it like it is. All right, let's kick this baby off, panel. Before we get into the Washington review, we begin the first quarter of the huddle with your reaction to the Alex Grinch firing on Sunday, which elevated D-line coach Sean Nua and linebackers coach Brian Odom to co-defensive coordinators with the added addition of former Trojans All-America safety Taylor Mays to coach the safeties in place of Grinch. So, panel, what can these two interim D.C. coaches possibly do to change anything, excuse me, anything uh, with just two uh, games remaining? Uh, But first, uh, let's get your reaction on the firing of uh, Alex Grinch. So we'll start off with Mark Culkin. Your thoughts, please. Took long enough. I mean, everyone knew what was happening. When Lincoln Riley came into the came into the post game press conference, and you know he didn't even have an opening statement, he kind of just rubbed his forehead, put his visor back on his head, and said, "Let's take some questions." And I think he knew at that moment that it was going to be done. He, he wasn't ready to make the announcement then, but the fact that it, it took three regular season losses. USC has now lost two consecutive games at home, by the way. Um, it, it was inevitable. So, you know, obviously he, you know, he spoke to the media today after practice. Eric was there. Um, I, I don't know what, how much we learned other than he, he slept on it, but he didn't sleep on it. And that these two got, you know, Sean Newell and Brian Odom are going to do their best to uh to, to see how well the team can perform defensively against Oregon. It's probably a week too late. It's probably it's actually 
it's it's nine weeks too late if you want or ten weeks too late if you want to go back to doing it after the bowl game. I, I, I again, I don't know why he elected to do it this Sunday to get after the Washington game. At this point, you're you've gone that far. You might as well just ride it all the way through. So the only reason I can think he did it was maybe it was the emotional release that Caleb Williams had. There was obviously other stuff going on in the locker room that we weren't privy to or, or got to see. So I think maybe it was just for the keeping his team on his side, you know, bought in. It, obviously the time there, if you weren't going to do it at the beginning of the season and you've gone this far, you might as well have waited till the end of the season. I don't know what Sean Nua and Brian Odom can change this far in. Eric? I was a I was a little bit surprised to hear it on Sunday when when that news came in. Uh, I had sort of resigned myself to how bad is this going to get, and and it's going to ride out for the whole season. I think this schedule set up pretty poorly for this kind of season, where you knew the defensive coordinator was kind of on on the cliff's edge there where once you got to the second half it was just kind of bam 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 uh with games with without a buy you usually you have that buy where you can there's sort of a, a soft landing where you can do that and then you get a, a couple weeks uh to make the change so so I had kind of convinced myself that that Lincoln Riley was just going to ride this out and and not do anything midseason because yeah you you assume midseason you would have done it earlier and and Lincoln Riley keeps saying hey we're still in it we're still in it and I think it just got to a point where that Washington performance was so bad and you couldn't stand in front of the team and basically say. I don't care. I don't care how how bad it looks. I don't care that you guys are going out there and getting embarrassed every week. And you had, I mean, it, it got so beyond the point where you had to do something. And I think this does, it does let Lincoln Riley stand up there and say, I I care, right? I, I want to do something about this, whatever I can do ahead of what looks like it and unbelievable challenge going up to Oregon and playing a absolutely kind of on fire Oregon team that will not hesitate to embarrass anything that shows up in Cardinal and gold uh, up in Eugene. So you do what you can at this point. Yes. Right. It's too late. I mean, we're, you're all in agreement for this season and sort of for the program and, and what you want to be as a coach. Uh but no, there there was no surprise that it happened. I was a little surprised, and I'm I'm glad that he did it now. I know he talked today about it's a tough decision, and when you have that inevitable mix of personal and professional with someone that you work with for a long time, you could tell he he didn't want to do it, and it was it needed that it needed that Washington performance to really to really push it over the edge. And I think now, now the questions are, are huge going forward. And I know we'll, we'll hit some of that uh, as we keep going here. 
Chris? Well, obviously, it's about time. I mean, Lincoln Riley talked today about how, you know, we just weren't making the progress that we all wanted to make and expected to make. That's not really what was happening. It's not that USC's progress was too slow. It's that there was a complete and utter meltdown in all aspects of defensive football. And USC's been playing pretty bad defense for, well, some years now. They certainly played bad defense just about all last year, other than other than the uh, the turnovers, which you know turnovers turnovers are at least fifty percent luck, um, and this year we've been less lucky. But the defensive performance this year has been just unbelievably bad, worse than anything I've ever seen from a USC team. Frankly, it might be worse than anything I've ever seen from a UCLA team. It might be worse than anything I've ever seen from an Oregon State team. I mean, I'm exaggerating slightly, but this isn't a defense that has holes or a defense that has weaknesses. It's a defense that literally can't do anything right. There are individual players that make plays. There are some players on that defensive roster that that are good football players. But you ask yourself, what do they do well? defensively do they stop the run no can they rush the passer not now that we're playing halfway decent teams they can't they can't get close can they cover anybody no they can't cover anybody can they tackle can they line up right I mean really it's just an absolute abomination and so um you know we'll talk a little bit I think later about what this means for Lincoln Riley and his credibility but um, should he have done it Sunday? Yeah, I guess. I mean, every day that Alex French has been USC at USC would have been a good day to do it. Other than maybe the six days after the Oregon State game last year, which is the only time that they played defense and looked like a USC football defense. Other than that, every single day that's gone by would have been a good day to pull the trigger off. And and what he's managed to do is he's managed to throw away an entire season and a whole lot of credibility. And frankly, he threw away last season too because Alex Grinch wasn't any good at Oklahoma and he brought him with him. And we all know that if the team last year just had a reasonably functional defense, USC's in the playoff. So he threw away a playoff opportunity last year. He's thrown away an entire season and Caleb Williams' final year this year. Those seem like pretty significant prices to pay. So, yeah, I guess it's about time to do it. Glad he did. Well, I I, I watched the the uh, presser today, this afternoon, and um, I think the first thing that really got my antenna up was when he said, uh, we're just two snaps away from being undefeated in conference. And I said, boy, I better go review the, the videos that I have of the games uh, in conference to see where those two snaps are. But aside from that, he didn't have a choice from my perspective. He just got hammered uh, in the L.A. Times and columnists and writers, the Register, the the whole group, the media was just on like fleas on a dog. And the truth is, he couldn't wait another week to watch Oregon run over him, uh, which, as Eric pointed out, that's what they're going to attempt to do because I think Lanning is looking at down-the-road recruiting and speaking of recruiting, he had to do it, he being uh, Lincoln Riley, because 
boy, they if they're going to do it and make a change, they got to do it now to make sure they've got the guys that have committed to stay committed and to perhaps signal some players who might have been thinking about USC. They will wait to see who they hire. I kind of laughed when he said, I'm 99.9 or something along that percentage of uh, only thinking about Oregon. Uh, but on occasion, I kind of think about it. Believe me, his whole reputation is going to be on the line. I've talked with a couple of former Division One coaches, one being a head coach, and uh, they they think that he's he's really got some ground to make up in credibility. So can he do it? Well, he's the man in charge. It all the buck stops there. We'll see if he can do it. Uh, but they got to open up the, the checking account, and they've got to pick the right guy that they cannot afford to skim or look over somebody. Uh, I know that uh, some of us have heard names that we'll talk about later, perhaps. But, you know, you're going to have to pay somebody really a lot of money if you're going to get a top dog. Now, let's move on here. Uh, I think Mark touched on it a little bit. Uh, what can these two interim coaches, co-DCs, possibly do defensively to change, if anything, with just two games remaining? Mark, is there anything you want to add to that, to your answer? I mean, they just got to keep the team communicating with each other, believing in each other. Simplify just to a just to a basic scheme. Look at your roster, your personnel. Adapt to that. You know, it, these guys have been playing football most of their lives. They're not – we. Some people refer to them as kids. They're young adults. They know how to put their hand in the dirt. They know how to hit the guy in front of them. They know how to tackle. Put them in the best position to do that. That's what these three coaches need to do going forward. Eric, what do you think? Yeah, I think part of that. I think uh, getting lined up on defense, not having – it's it's so hard to know what actually was going on pre-snap for the USC defense, but less arm waving, pointing, yelling, all that. I know, I know you have to, right. The idea that you could just sit there and do nothing against these offenses. You can't, you can't, they there there's movement. There's all this stuff, pre-snap, post-snap. You can't just sit and do nothing, but giving them obviously clearer instructions on, on what their job is like Mark said, these are these are guys that have played football for a long time. The idea that there are players at this level with scholarships to USC or anywhere that can't get a play call, know where they're supposed to stand and know what responsibility they have, play in and play out. I mean, throughout the game – there never seemed to be something where Alex Gridge could send it in and everyone was like, yeah, got it. And then they would knock knock their jobs out of the park, right? We're all over it. Find a couple of those. Find a couple of those places. And if you get beat by something crazy exotic because they did that, it's fine if the guys are playing with more confidence, which you could tell they just, there were too many players on the field playing with no confidence in what they were doing. And I think probably because they had about 12 different, if this, then this, if this, then this, all of that stuff going on through their heads. So I think you simplify it to let's go hit somebody and let's be tough. And if that, if not, if all else fails, you have that and you take that into your next game. Chris. 
Yeah, I think there are a couple things they can do. One is they can commit to stopping the run. Maybe the single worst thing that that Alex Grinch did as USC's defensive coordinator, and that's a really long list, and it's hard to prioritize. But maybe the single worst thing he did is refuse to commit to stopping the run. And there are teams that can't run the ball, and they run it against USC, right? Colorado couldn't run the ball a lick. All of a sudden, they're running the ball all over the place. Washington's not a particularly good running team. That running back has never done anything. I mean, he probably had a big game in high school. But they haven't done anything all year. And he runs for, what, 246 and 199 before contact? And Alex Grinch is content to let that continue to happen? I mean, some of it was some of it was, was scheme, right? I mean, he caught – Washington knew that if, they, that if they went with that trip set, that close trip set, and they pitched the ball into the trips – that Alex Grinch was going to rely upon his nickel and his corner to set the edge and make the play. And Washington knew that they wouldn't do it because they hadn't done it all year. They didn't do it against Arizona when Arizona ran it like 10, 12, 14 times. And I, this is not hard to understand. I did an article on it. I did a video about it. I'm just a guy on the internet. I'm not a, I'm not a division one defensive coordinator. But it was obvious to me that there's no way in the world we were going to stop that outside running game with that set and that personnel. But Alex Grinch was content to let us go out there, play after play after play, week after week, and let people run all over USC. That's shameful and stupid. I mean, let's be honest. It's stupid. You listen to most defensive coordinators. What do they tell you? we got to make them one-dimensional. we got to take away the running game, make them one-dimensional. Good. Let's do that. If nothing else, I would hope that a linebackers coach and a defensive line coach would say, you know what? I think it's pretty embarrassing that teams run for 300 something yards against us. I'm going to put people in the box and I'm going to commit to stopping that running game. And if Bo Nix beats us, throw the ball down the field and he probably will. Fine. Right. That's what I do. And you know what else I do? If I have if I have players on my roster who simply refuse to keep contain, just refuse over and over and over again, week after week, much of the time, not even because they're being blocked. They're just not doing their job. I'm going to take that guy. I'm going to put him on the sideline. I'm never going to put him on the field again. I'm going to put somebody else out there and see whether he'll do it. And if he doesn't, I'm going to take him off the field and put somebody else out there. Because when you're talking about something that fundamental to defensive football, you cannot tolerate people screwing it up over and over again. It'd be like a corner who constantly lets people just run by him for long touchdowns. Well, there are lots of things you could do as a corner that aren't good, but there's nothing that's worse than that. And if a guy lets that happen over and over again, I'm going to put him on the bench. If my guy who's my contained guy constantly lets people outside of him, I'm going to put him on the bench. They can do that. And that would be a good start. Some accountability in that defensive unit would be a really good start right about now. Because the players need to understand, if you have a job, you damn well better do it. If you don't do it, you're not going to play anymore. And they'll find, and if you do that, eventually you'll find people who will do their job. They may not be the most talented guys. They may not. They may not be, they may not be big. They may not be fast. But you'll find somebody who will just do their job. And it'd be nice to find somebody to just do their job at some of these spots. So I think they can at least do those two things. They can't clean up this mess. It's a raging grease fire. And it's going to still be on fire against Oregon and against UCLA. There's nothing you can do about that. 
but you can decide to fix one or two gigantic problems. And deciding to stop the run at least a little bit, that's a pretty good place to start. Yeah, I think you've all made uh, good, solid points. Uh, just to add my two cents into it, they need to simplify the defense. They got to man up along the defensive line. I shouldn't have to look either being at a game or on television. And before the ball is snapped, I go, it's going there. It's going there. Natural grass, uh, where you don't even have to really block somebody, uh, has to be taken away. I'd rather see, uh, you know, Bo Nix, uh, the Oregon quarterback pass for a ton of yards, then get beat up on the ground. Uh, I don't know whether no matter what they change is going to make any effect against Oregon, but I think they can make it a lot more difficult for Oregon by simplifying uh, things and then doing the fundamental sound. It will be interesting to see what these two coaches do in just two games. Okay. All right, let's move forward. How much has the Alex Grinch firing reflected upon Lincoln Riley as a head coach and his credibility from within and outside the program, Mark? If he makes the uh, the right hire coming up, he'll do a lot for his credibility because right now he's uh, he's skating on some thin ice. Um, but he made the decision that he was going to ride or die with 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 Alex Grinch after the Cotton Bowl. He said he you know he had the belief and the confidence. He he knew what he was capable of doing, and it was going to happen. Well, he had to eat those words, had to, had to eat a little bit of crow. And kind of, you know, differentiate between the competence and the expectation and why it didn't come about. It was a long, convoluted answer. Nevertheless, um, you know, he, he he did his best to try and, 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 and differentiate between the two and why it didn't happen. We're going to find out why it didn't happen after the season when he's had a chance to to really dive into it more, I think was the, the short version of his answer. Uh, again, he... He brought over the guys he was comfortable with from Oklahoma. You didn't expect him to do anything. Well, we wanted him to do something after the, you know, after this first year. That didn't happen. You understood why he kept Alex Grinch. But now, unless he actually makes a really good hire and, and USC's defense looks discernibly different next year, his credibility is on the line right now. So it all depends. Right now, he's a... He's right in that incomplete stage. If he goes out, finds the right defensive coordinator, and gets everybody you know behind him again, it's not a problem. If he gets the wrong guy, he's got a big problem. Eric, I think a lot of that is right. I think that he maybe rightly right now is looked at as a, a really good offensive coordinator. And there are a lot of really good offensive coordinator head coaches out there that get the job because they're a really good offensive coordinator. And then they learn on the job how to be a head coach. And I, and I think you've seen that a lot. And I'm curious what Lincoln Riley has learned from this. And he talked a little bit about, you know, still growing, still learning still. And and you have to do that. I mean, the 75 year old head coach is still figuring things out and, and getting better at, at what he does. Uh, but I think Mark's right that it's a, that it's an incomplete right now. And he has a chance to kind of prove that he's learned something from this and what direction 
he goes, it'll be tough, right? Because anytime you make a hire, you want to grade that hire right now. Did you, did you win or did you lose? And you don't know. You don't know in that time how everything's going to fit. We've seen coaching hires that are look phenomenal and then turns out that didn't work out. We've seen some that are like, really, that guy? And, and it's great. So I don't think you know if it works, but I think you know where his head is and, and what direction he wants to go as a head coach with this hire. I, again, I don't, I, I think there are major questions about what he thinks about defensive football, what he thinks is great defensive football. When he talked today on Monday about, you know, I've, I've seen great football. I've seen the turnaround. I've seen, you know, Alex Greens did it at Oklahoma. And you look at some of those numbers and I get, I get, making enough plays, right? What we hoped would happen with the defense this year. Just make enough plays. Make make four stops a game and and give yourself a chance, which I think would have worked against Washington if you'd gotten one or two more. But that's not that's not that's not great defense. That's not pinning your hopes on that side of the ball to maybe carry you every once in a while. So that was the the one that kind of got my ears up where that can't be what whatever Oklahoma was doing, which again in in 2021, before he comes over, you're like a 109 pass defense, 76 total defense, 58 scoring defense. Like that that's not the that's not the ceiling. That's not where where you want to get to. So that that like I said got my attention a little bit. What is his idea of really great defense when he says USC is going to play great? defense i think that question still has to be answered with what is the what is the ceiling of a of a lincoln riley defense because what it's been so far and i know he thinks it can be better at usc than it was at oklahoma but it's what it's been so far he'll say it's been close you get to the playoff yeah you're close you're one of those teams but not good enough right and so that to me is is where i am uh in this whole process the offense is fun right the offense is fun to watch it's entertaining you put up points uh getting serious and and really serious about the defense and not just giving lip service to it like clearly we saw this year where there are no answers on the defensive side and we kept hearing here it comes we just have to do this we just have to do this and there was no plan or vision or whatever to actually get those things done on the field. That's still where you are right now. And until you see something else uh, on the field. Chris Arledge. Yeah. I think that Lincoln Riley, maybe even before this season, but certainly uh, three seasons ago was seen as, the up-and-comer, the best young coach in the country, and a sure thing to win a lot of games for a very long time. He'll probably still win a lot of games for a very long time. Um, But I think there is a gigantic question mark about him at this point. People before thought, okay, Lincoln Riley's teams don't play very good defense. That was true. That was true at Oklahoma, by the way. They had one defense under Alex Grinch where they were okay defensively. And then they had a couple where they were just weren't very good. That's the truth. And that's the guy he elected to bring with him. The problem is that 
you had a gigantic season killing career threatening problem. And Lincoln Riley was the last person in America to recognize it. That's pretty bad. It's just bad. They, he apparently really believed that the problem was that the front seven wasn't good enough, and Alex Grinch was, despite the fact that Alex, Alex Grinch was doing the same thing schematically last year that we saw this year that are disastrous, and despite the fact that the defense did not improve over the course of the year last year, like it hasn't this year. But he thought, well, the problem is you can't hide the front seven. So they went out and got some front seven guys, most of which they haven't figured out how to use, right? I mean, that's a crazy thing. Bear Alexander is every bit as good as we thought he would be. They haven't figured out how to use Anthony Lucas, an unbelievably talented guy. They can't figure out what to do with him. Or you have Jack Sullivan, who probably isn't nearly as talented, but it's very experienced and steady, apparently is pretty good against the run. At least that's what we were told. It's hard to know because he doesn't play. But if he's pretty good against the run, that sounds like the sort of thing that might have been useful a couple times this year, right? Keon Bars, second team All-Pac-12 a couple years ago. They bring him over, big body, moves pretty well. Can't find a place to put him. Eric Gentry, who is the – he's not perfect as a linebacker, but he's the biggest playmaker in that group. Sat on the bench almost all year. And so I, I look at it and say, okay, you thought that the problem was the front seven. So you would not get, get a bunch of front seven guys who don't play. And the defense is a disaster. And you're the last guy, you're the last person who's even vaguely familiar with USC football to figure out that Alex Grinch is a disaster who has to be fired. I don't know what to say about that. I mean, Lincoln Riley is going to be around. I'm rooting for him. His teams can score points. They'll score points again next year, the year after that, and the year after that. They will. They will, okay? He doesn't have to have Caleb Williams to score points. He scored points with everybody he's ever had at that spot. They're going to score a lot of points. But fundamentally, with your head football coach, you need a guy who recognizes the problems with his program and fixes them before the guy selling peanuts at the stadium has figured it out. And right now, USC doesn't have that in their head coach. And I don't know what to say about that. It's unbelievably disappointing. Um, I'll, I'll say this. I, I respect Lincoln Riley uh, as a coach of the offensive side of the football. I think he has no credibility whatsoever at this point on the defensive end. He's the one who said, I'll get involved with the defense and I'm going to watch what it's doing. Well, that isn't a very a good endorsement uh, at this point in time. Uh, and I think to about the players that are being recruited and the credibility of what the locals are looking at and nationally, he's really, he rolled the dice with Alex Grinch and he crapped out. It was a failure and he's got a ways to go to get that credibility back. Uh, not, you know, I mean, nationally from the media standpoint, I know some people say screw the media, but you know what? There's a lot of good people in the media that know what's going on. A lot of people in the media that played ball. Some were even coaches, Right. Uh, that that write and see it. And, you know, when you have your Matt Leinerts and Keyshawn Johnsons and Sua Cravens and on and on and on going out in public saying, you know, this is really bad. You know what? The buck stops with uh, with um, Lincoln Riley. So he's got a lot of work to do as far as credibility goes. No doubt about it. Hire the right defensive coordinator and he's probably got 50 percent of the problem solved. But that's only 50 percent. 
All right. How will the Grinch firing affect? Because we talked about recruiting it. How will the Grinch firing affect uh, defensive recruiting? And what names do you want to see considered as the next Trojans uh, defensive coordinator, Mark? So obviously it's going to open up the defensive recruits' eyes again. They're going to start maybe looking at USC, depending on who they bring in. I mean, that the first part of that question is it's, we're still in the wait-and-see mode. I mean, obviously having Lincoln, uh, Alex Grinch around wasn't helping the recruiting. Getting rid of him is the first step. So depending on who they bring in, and you don't need the defensive coordinator to actually be the lead recruiter as long as you've got guys on the staff who can still recruit. Uh, that's not an endorsement to keep anybody who's currently around. I'm just kind of you know stating the obvious. Who do I want? Um, well, you, there's a lot of guys out there that I'd like. We, we could start with the guy at Iowa, Phil Parker. We can take a look at the defensive coordinator at Rutgers. Um, there's a lot of guys out there. Take anybody off of Georgia's staff who's been around Kirby Smart for five years, and I'm willing to give him a chance. Do you want to go to the NFL and, and try what UCLA did with, uh, you know, grabbing someone from Baltimore? There's a lot of different solutions out there. I think Eric said there's a lot of offensive coordinators out there. I think there's just as many defensive coordinators out there. And if we can get people to sign off on it, get Ed, get Ed Orgeron on the staff some way, somehow. If he's not a DC, the guy's got an eye for talent. That's what I'm talking about as far as people who can recruit. There's plenty of guys out there. Lincoln Riley will find the right guy. People are going to say, well, Jim Leonard, Jim Leonard, Jim Leonard. I, look, unless he all of a sudden falls in love with L.A., I don't know if that will ever happen. But there's plenty of guys out there. Eric, your uh, recruiting is in your wheelhouse. Uh, how is this going to affect everything in the recruiting world? Who would you like to see as the next Trojans defensive coordinator? Well, it's only positive as far as recruiting, but you're also not going to get a bunch of the guys in this class to come in without a defensive coordinator. They're, they're going to want to have an idea of who it is because at this point, you certainly assume based on how all these things have gone th- throughout history, the guy who comes in is is going to pick his assistants. And so if you're getting recruited by a linebacker coach right now or a defensive backs coach, there, there's not a great chance that those guys are going to be your coach. So you saw a couple young guys commit they got a, they got a commitment at, at what 15 minutes after the news broke or something that and that was scheduled to go at that time that wasn't a reaction to to the firing but you're gonna have guys that, that have wanted to go to USC forever and USC is one of those schools that that's lucky in that way that, that there are guys that you don't have to recruit all that hard to bring in and we've seen a lot of those guys uh, in the past be really successful at USC but they're going to be able to they're going to be able to make a splash with somebody and literally the splash might just be it's it's not Alex Grinch anymore because it had it had become such a struggle to get commitments from defensive prospects to get attention from defensive prospects because they'd go I mean they wouldn't all do this, but if if you went online and just say they wanted to search USC defense and get some thoughts on it, 
that's not what you want to read as if, I mean, every single thing that popped up, anything that their friends told them, anything their coaches told them, anything their parents knew about USC's defense, it was not positive. It was not positive right now. And trying to recruit against that was a virtual impossibility. Somehow the school, Lincoln Riley, the recruiters went out and, and got a couple guys. There's, there's a couple guys in this class defensively that can play. And that's again what the school does. So this is, this is again the chance, right? I, I would rather, if I had to pick, I know that having a, a great defensive coordinator in terms of a recruiter, a great recruiting defensive coordinator, that's kind of a thought for this. I, I need an X and O's guy. I need a guy who can just coach defense. And if he wants to sit in his office all day, but he's that good at coaching, you can add so many people to the staff who can recruit, right? Just like Mark said, you can surround them with anybody you want. Get a linebacker. If if this defensive coordinator you get has history with linebackers, get a linebacker coach who's just an on-campus recruiting host. I mean, that, that that's the kind of thing that you can do with some of the assistants uh, if your defensive coordinator is that good and has that kind of authority there. I think names you throw out super early are probably not the ones there. And you're going to hear as these searches always go with a, with a school like USC, you're going to get a lot more leaks. I think from the outside, from the inside on agents that want, you know, Hey, talk talk about my guy, talk about my guy with this. Uh, I think you're going to hear that a lot for USC fans. Mark mentioned Jim Leonard and he's been, he's been the name forever what he did at Wisconsin. And it's just, it would take from the sound of it, just an enormous change of heart from him to want to come out to the West coast to potentially not go to the NFL if something opened up there. Uh, and, and the other, the other way that I would look again, just following up with Mark, you go to that Georgia staff, they've got a couple co-coordinators right now. And I like the idea of successful defensive coordinator. Well, I guess, so I'm going to stop myself in the middle of that because I think you have to be careful a little bit with defensive coordinators who are having success under defensive head coaches, right? Pete Carroll had some defensive coordinators at USC that didn't have a ton of success when they went elsewhere and weren't huge names even when they we're at USC, but Will Muschamp is a name at Georgia, the co-coordinator with Glenn Schumann, and and those names kind of both pop up. Tim DeRuiter is an interesting one. He went to St. John Bosco. He's a Southern California native. He's at Texas Tech right now, which for me, I got to tell you, I know he's not from the Leech Tree, but anyone who even brushes past Texas Tech at this point is kind of, I, I don't know about that. Uh and then Trent Bray at Oregon State, it feels like he's an Oregon State maybe lifer, but I don't know what the lifespan is of, of Oregon State right now. And so maybe that's a time where, where guys like that, uh, would jump. I mean, I, I, there's a million, right? If you want to make a huge statement, you walk into Ohio State and pull Jim Knowles out of Ohio State. I don't know how you do that or what it takes, but that would be pretty fascinating. And then because it's USC and we have to throw a USC guy in, and I'm not going to say Ed Orgeron, uh, Ryan Nielsen to me has always been intriguing with what he did on the defensive line. If we want to talk defensive line at North Carolina state there, 
He's the defensive coordinator for the Falcons right now. That's a tough thing to see going from coordinator to coordinator, dropping down a level. But again, because this always needs a USC name, he's he's the guy that I'd throw out there for that. Chris? Yeah, I'll keep mine short. I mean, one of the downsides of hiring a defensive coordinator that the whole world knows is inept is it makes it harder to recruit defensive players. And yeah, I I, I see I see the the face mark, but he's no, watching the USC basketball game was a great play. Oh, okay, I, I I was stunned that I was stunned you had a problem with me calling this. Game. Oh, your timing <laughs> was impeccable. Uh, so yeah, of course it helps recruiting. I don't know how I don't know what story you tell to defensive players if you if you got that guy coordinating your defense who's just watching teams. You know, running backs for teams that don't run the ball very well just run run the ball and they don't get touched until they're 15 yards downfield every play. It's insane. Who they should hire, honestly, I don't know. We, It's too early to know because you don't know who's still going to have a job in a few weeks. And there's some guys out there that uh, if, you know, it would be sad for them, but potentially very happy for us if they lost their jobs in the next couple of weeks. <laughs> so we'll just wait and see what happens. Uh, right now, I'm just going to celebrate that uh, two years too late, he got rid of him. Well, I tell you what, I uh, had a chance to have a really good conversation with a really powerful booster. And I died a really powerful booster and a few others that I know are in the know. And uh, Odron's not coming. Let's put it that way. He's not going. So any thought of that, helping out, whatever. Uh, And you have to take into context that whoever Lincoln Riley chooses or extends the invitation, Riley has to be comfortable with with him, which is, I, I don't blame him. And that person has to be told, this is your defense. I can work under Lincoln Riley. I think if I was Lincoln Riley, I'd say to somebody, who I think would be an excellent choice. The defense is all yours. You just tell me what you need. I agree with Mark uh, in a in a in a sense that the position coaches are still there. Players are on record. We know that if you read wersc.com uh, that say that I'm more concerned about my position coach being there. They've mentioned Dante Williams by name, so that's something that we'll have to pay attention to. One name that I think that. Um, I would like to see consideration if he's interested in it. I don't know whether he would get along with Riley. I have no idea because he is outspoken. It would be Chris Richard, uh, former defensive back for the Trojans. He's really got a great football mind. He's going to sit in the meeting and tell you exactly what he thinks. He's not a he's not a shrinking violet. Violet. I don't know if that fits the comfort zone of Lincoln Riley, but there are going to be people out there, no doubt about it. All right, let's Greg, hold on, yeah. Greg. Yes. Yeah. Uh, because you said, right, here's you you have the defense, you do that, take over. Isn't that isn't that the issue we're talking about though? Like Lincoln Riley needs to be invested in that side. Cuz again, I I had the same thought too. Look, you just you hire a guy who is basically a head coach of the defense, but but Riley's got to got to give more than that to that side. Riley's got to coach like he has the defense in mind during games, during practices, all of that stuff. And I think that's maybe the growth 
that you need. And maybe a, a defensive coordinator can sort of talk to him or, or he gets kind of that thought, but it did feel almost at all times like, you know, I need, I need all the timeouts on offense. I need all the, the, the emotion and everything going in on that side of the ball. And, and that's where I'm curious how this relationship works. Cause it was clear he was, he was close with Alex Grinch. And I wonder if there was a, you know, confidence in just, yep, you got it. You do whatever you want. And if there is sort of a, a thing where they don't get along great or they don't know each other from, from the past, then you spend more time getting to know them and, and being involved in that side. So just, just kind of thinking out loud, but the idea of like Riley just handing over that side of the ball. While I understand that you want someone that you feel comfortable doing that, who's that good as a coordinator, I think that's some of the change that you really want to see going in, into next year where it feels like, no, the defense is also part of the team, right? They, they get the same, the same post-practice, you know, love and all of that, uh, that, that it feels like the offense gets when he talks about, when he talks about anything, because when he's asked questions about the defense, it flips the offense pretty quickly with with some of the comments that he gives. Well, that that will underscore what I'm going to finish up on this. I don't think he's a great defensive mind, Lincoln Riley. I don't know how much he really knows about defense. I know that he knows how to attack defenses, but it's different when you're the defensive coordinator. If he hired a Gary Patterson, you know, impeccable uh, defensive uh, mind, uh, older guy, uh, somebody that Lincoln Riley would say, you know, I I, I want to see what you're doing. I want to be knowledgeable of it, but it's yours. Uh, I don't I don't have any trust or confidence that Lincoln Riley is going to be overseeing whoever he he selects because he said he was going to get involved with the defense this year, and we know how that turned out. All right, panel, we don't need to spend a great deal of time on this, so keep your answers brief if you would. Uh, but aside from the firing of Grinch. Uh, just some final thoughts on the uh, Washington game. Good, bad, ugly. Who or what was the key to the game, Mark? I don't know if there was anything good about the game. Um, Chris touched on it earlier, and it, it's something that really bugged the heck out of me. Yeah, Washington couldn't run the ball coming into the game. Washington was able to run the ball after the game. You have a guy who's running for 100 and 200 yards before anybody even breathes on him that's just it's unacceptable and then they hear him and i don't think it was intentional to rub rub everybody's nose in the in the huskies poop that they left all over the field but to say that you know they weren't even giving us any resistance that just takes a whole you know the longer it goes the better we get mantra and just throw into the trash I mean, that was just the ultimate, oh, by the way, not only did we do what we wanted, but we knew you couldn't stop us. Eric? Nothing good. Hey, guys, who remembers what happened in the USC-Stanford 2021 game? Anything about that game? So that's this, right? This is This is the Alex Grinch game. That was the Clay Helton game. This is the Alex Grinch game. Nothing that happened in the game matters now or going forward or any of that. That, that was, that was the game. The, the USC Washington 2023 game 
is is the Alex Grinch game. Chris? Yeah, you know, the thing that, that struck me, uh, you know, afterwards you had that that really strong show of emotion from Caleb Williams. And I don't know what exactly was behind that. I suspect it's that Caleb Williams felt bad because he made two critical mistakes in that game. It's not the reason USC lost. USC lost because the defense was an absolute embarrassment the whole time. And Caleb Williams was otherwise pretty brilliant all night. But the fumble at the end of the first half is, I mean, especially in that game where you knew you weren't going to get many stops, you're trying to get some points on the board because you have to kick to them. Uh, the fumble there was, I mean, I think I think for most USC fans that know anything about football, you saw that fumble and you thought, okay, that's probably the end of this game. It turned out it wasn't necessarily because, you know, Gentry gets his hand on the ball, they get a pick. Um, but uh, but that one, and then taking the sack when you had to have at least a field goal to tie it up. I mean, those were two... Those were two really, really tough plays. And I suspect that's why he was hurting as bad as he was, because he knows that. He's a smart kid. Um, but it's not his fault. Um, Caleb Williams was brilliant. They scored 42 points. Eh, take off the seven we gave up. They at least scored 35 points. And and so if you look at it that way, I mean, the name of the game was just the horrific defensive performance, which wasn't necessarily a surprise to anybody. We knew that was a very realistic possibility going in. Uh, and so that's really all there is to talk about in that game, I think. Uh, I'll make it really brief. I agree with everything that uh, that Chris said uh, and what you others say, so I'm not going to add anything more. Uh, it was an unfortunate loss, and it, it will be known as the Grinch game in, in history. So, fans, have you ever been caught in last-minute event ticket frenzy, distress, uncertainty? It's crunch time. You don't need it. But guess what? There's a game-changing solution. It's called Game Time. Imagine this. Effortless ticket buying for all your favorite sports, music, comedy, and theater events. No more frantic searches. Game Time is your ultimate ticket buddy. Sounds good to me. Want perks? Okay. How about an incredible deals on last-minute tickets and rock-solid best price guarantee? Say goodbye to ticket anxiety and hello to the sheer joy of being in the moment. This Saturday evening, the Trojans play at number six, Oregon, in Autzen Stadium. How fun is that? Game is an official sellout, but those of you that want to still go, you can find tickets with game time for as low as $94. And a reminder, the Trojans return home to the Coliseum for their last game of the 2023 regular season, hosting Crosstown rival UCLA on November Saturday, November 18th. The USC-UCLA game has been declared a sellout. But Game Time has tickets for as low as $90. So check out Game Time tickets after watching or listening to today's Inside the Trojans Huddle. And aside from USC tickets, you can also head to Game Time for Rams, Chargers, Lakers, Clippers. Tickets to all your L.A. teams. And don't forget concerts as well. Flash deals, easy access, seat view images, unbeatable best price guarantee, event protection. Game Time has it all from sports to rock concerts. So here's the deal. Head to GameTime.co. That's GameTime.co. That's co, not .com. Download the app. Create an account. Use Trojans code tro- or use code Trojans for $20 off your first purchase. Ready to dive in? As for buying tickets, it's as easy as tapping on your phone. Tickets are sent straight to your phone. Again, download 
Game Time app, create an account, use code Trojans for $20 off. Terms apply, create an account, redeem code Trojans for $20 off. Your first purchase, download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guarantee. So let's turn the page. Second quarter, Oregon. We move to the second quarter with a preview of the CFP number six Oregon Ducks, guided by second year head coach Dan Lanning. Ducks are five and one in the Pac 12, eight and one overall. On Saturday, the Ducks, this is last Saturday, destroyed Cal 63 to 19 in Eugene. The USC and Oregon game from Watson Stadium will kick off at 7.30 p.m. Pacific time, televised uh, on Fox. Probable for NFL first-round draft pick senior quarterback Bo Nix leads the Ducks offense. He's supported by NFL-caliber receiver, uh, a junior, Troy Franklin. He's a good one. Ducks have a very physical offensive line, which paves the way for extremely tough and little running back Bucky Irving. He's a tough one, too. Defensively, Oregon plays a tough physical defense. Leading the way are corners Evan Williams and Tysheem Johnson, linebackers Jeffrey Bassa and Jamal Hill, and linemen Brandon Dorius and Jordan Bursch. Uh, Oregon is currently averaging 47.4 points per game on offense, allowing just 16 points per game on defense. Oregon opened a 14-point favorite over the Trojans. Panel, what will you be looking for in the game? USC offense, defense, special teams against the Ducks. What will be the key to the game, Chris Arledge? The key to this game? That's the only game I know. I mean, try try to get out of there without too many injuries. I'm trying to get myself worked up into a mindset where I feel like USC has a chance to win at Odson. You know, I talked myself into it for the Notre Dame game. I talked myself into it for Utah. I even talked myself into it last week against Washington, but I just can't. Oregon's really good. You know how much it hurts me to say that. They're really good. And and that's such a difficult place to play. You've got to be about 14 points better than Oregon to have a shot to beat them there. And USC is somewhere around 28 points worse than Oregon. I, I don't I don't see how this is anything other than an absolute bloodbath. Hopefully we'll commit to stopping the run, force Bo Nix to beat us. He probably will. Hopefully the offensive line will hold it together despite the crowd noise and an aggressive Oregon defense. But it feels like it feels like the Notre Dame game to me, only with a team that's more explosive and more athletic. So make of that what you will. I'm gonna watch it, but I don't think I'm gonna enjoy it. Mark? Yeah. Um <laughs> stop the run. Hope for the best. I we're gonna find out where this team's mind frame is, where their mindset is. How much fight they have in them, because I will be shocked if USC is not playing from behind um, early in the first quarter. I I think USC will score with them, but you know USC is going to blink first, and then is will their new look defense uh, be able to show anything and and just keep the team in the game long enough so they don't kind of succumb to the whole experience, the the under the lights, the the big crowd, Oregon playing for the opportunity to get to the playoffs. Oh, and by the way, if you can look good at the expense of USC, that's just the kind of the cherry on the top. So I'm with Chris. 
It's going to be one of those really difficult to watch games. I commend uh, you and Eric. Enjoy it. Uh, speaking of Eric, what do you think? Chris, I've got the uh, the bleep button ready for when you said Oregon is is good. So no no one's ever going to hear you say that. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, what I got. So so first thing I did is look up uh, Bucky Irving's right career rushing record numbers, the, the highest he's gone. Um, I think that's kind of what's in play. 149, by the way, is is the uh, the target there. Uh, look, wh- what's interesting to me is how long, if let's say USC wins this game, how long do you enjoy it before it becomes the most frustrating win of all time if the defense is even remotely okay in this one. I mean, if, if they, if they hold Oregon to 30 or 28 or something in this, do you, do you even enjoy it because of what could maybe could have been this? Yeah. Year? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. I I know. That. that was, that was rhetorical <laughs> for you. Terrible question. I know. So anyway, beyond that, I think USC shows up. I think they play. I think that it's going to be really difficult as, as, and we all saw it, right? As confusing and as ultimately bad as the play calls and the defense performed during games, you got to this point with kind of one voice and the expectations and and we at least know what the routine is to get out there on the field and do some stuff. It's tough to then change it and you're not bringing in a new guy these these are guys that have been in the defensive meeting rooms and, and been around for the season but it is expecting so much to put a plan in place that would be really different at all in any way from what you've been doing i think you can you can pick new guys we talked about simplifying but this oregon team they can put in so much motion. They can do so much di- misdirection. They're tough. They do not give up sacks, which we saw Washington does not give up sacks and USC had a hard time there. So what do you do if you're USC? Try to stop the run, try to get to the quarterback. There really isn't anything that would seem to give any type of advantage in any way to USC. Those are all things that USC has struggled with for years I think the offense will come out and probably score some points and hang in there. But ultimately it probably looks like what was that uh, 2012 game where it felt like SC was close and all of a sudden they're down 18 and they could just never catch up with Oregon as they go up and down, up and down. I think that was the Kenyon Barner game where he ran for like 640 yards before contact. So uh, I, if USC shows up and plays hard in this one, given the circumstances, then whatever happens, happens, and and you root for the guys that are still going. Well, the last time I was in Autzen Stadium, Lane Kiffin was the coach, uh, and they I was actually sitting in the stands doing a fan piece, I think, for ESPN, and uh, it was incredible. SC came out, Marquise Lee made some great catches. And they beat Oregon. So I, when when Oregon is losing, as loud and insane as that crowd is, but when they get behind, boy, you can hear a pin drop. So I know that you can you can win at Autzen Stadium. I just 
think that the Trojans, when I look at that number of only giving up, oh, 16 points per game, uh, I know that's going to be tested by the USC offense, but this is really a game that the longer SC can stay in it, the the more pressure there's going to be on Oregon. My problem is, is when SC comes out and the crowd is going crazy and the Ducks riding in on a motorcycle and the whole carnival circus is going, plus the weather is going to be in the 40s and maybe a chance of rain and it's, it can be really uh, miserable, which the Duck fans just like, uh, that Oregon's going to be so motivated for all the reasons you've already given. SC's probably got somewhat of a downer feeling right now. And uh, if they're good, if, if SC doesn't get blown out in the first quarter, who knows? Anything is possible. But the key to the game is, boy, you can't have fumbles. You can't have interceptions. And you got to hold on to the ball on offense when you've got the ball and when you can't drop uh, touchdown passes in the end zone. So I don't think we're under any illusion that uh, it uh, – and Dan Lanning, if he gets a chance, he's going to run that score up to 70 if he can do it. I think that's pretty apparent. All right, a reminder, USC football fans, following the conclusion of each and every home USC uh, in away game, We RSC brings you five things, a timely analysis for a moderator and We RSC editor-in-chief, Eric McGinney, along with columnist Mark Culkin and yours truly, Greg Katz. Again, check out five things on your YouTube and WeRSC.com after the conclusion of Saturday night's Oregon game from Autzen Stadium. Halftime. All right, here's a little break here for you guys. Uh, last week, the Big Ten announced the 2024 conference dates, sequence of games. It should be noted that some games could be actually adjusted for select Friday or other special dates. Here is the released 2024 schedule in its entirety. All games, with the exception of the season opener against LSU, are on Saturdays. I will quickly go uh, down this list. Uh, SC opens up September 1st, Sunday versus LSU in the Las Vegas kickoff classic. Then returns to, uh, in September, Utah State in the Coliseum. By week. Then at Michigan in the Big House. Finishing September, Wisconsin in the Coliseum. October. In sequence, at Minnesota, Penn State in the Coliseum, at Maryland, Rutgers in the Coliseum. In November, at Washington, another bye week, Nebraska in the Coliseum, at UCLA, and then November 30th, non-conference game, of course, Notre Dame in the Coliseum. Uh, Just as note, the 2024 Big Ten Championship game will be on Saturday, December 7th at Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis, Indiana. Panel, your general thoughts on the overall 2024 and Big Ten schedule specifically. Eric, when you saw that schedule, what did you think? I I liked it. I liked it. I think it's a good schedule uh, for USC given the away games that they were going to have. Finishing at UCLA Notre Dame feels pretty familiar for a schedule that feels pretty unfamiliar with the rest of it. Look, if... If LSU is going to be on there with all the rest of them, I mean, they they are what you, they are. Looking at it, it's not this year. It's not this year. You've got a couple tough games early, which is fine because even though maybe you're not at your best, you maybe catch someone else not at their best, and it's not all just back to back to back. There really isn't – like UCLA Notre Dame looks – pretty obviously like the toughest kind of two game stretch in there. And so 
maybe that second bye week, if it flipped with the at Washington, so you go, you get a bye before you travel to Washington, like you got a bye before you travel to Michigan. Maybe that's the change I make, but you're on the West Coast uh, starting October 20th, right? When you get back from that Maryland trip on the 19th, you, you don't leave the West Coast. And we know from that Notre Dame game in mid-October, that's not something USC likes to do is is leave the West Coast uh, in, in November. So I don't have a ton of complaints with it. I think the Big Ten did a, did a pretty good job when I think the biggest complaint I saw was Oregon saying like they didn't get a buy before one of their big travel days. That's a great job for me if that's the only team that, that has a complaint. Did Eric, uh, did we have a freeze here? No. And he finished. He did a nice job of wrapping up his answer. Apparently, <laughs> apparently we did. Ago. Apparently we <laughs> did, yes, have a freeze, I guess. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, Chris, your thoughts? I agree with it. I agree with Eric. I mean, if you're going to have LSU and Notre Dame uh, in your non-conference schedule, then you're going to have a tough schedule. But you get Michigan early in the year when the weather's good, and you have Utah State in a bye week before that, which means you should be pretty healthy. Um, that's not that's not so bad. And, um, you know, sort of a fun home schedule. Um, I mean, obviously, Penn State and Notre Dame at home, that's, that's always fantastic. But Nebraska and Wisconsin, um, two big-name teams that, frankly, probably won't be any good. Uh, they'll bring a lot of fans, but they're not going to be any good. Those are those are fun games to have. Um, so, yeah, you know what? Uh, it could have been a lot worse. It could have been a lot worse. You could have had a lot of cold weather games at the end of the season. You could have had, you know, Michigan and Penn State back to back, or Michigan, Penn State, Notre Dame back to back to back. Could have been a lot worse. So, I don't know what kind of football team USC will have, but they have a fighting chance with this schedule. All right. What What is your thoughts on it, uh, Mark? Yeah, it's you like the way it sets up. I know I keep hearing the word if USC and LSU play. Um I, I know I know maybe people are wondering if that's gonna happen. Um uh, we'll see. I, I hope it happens. But as far as the schedule, yeah, I mean you like the bye week before Michigan, you get a little bit of an advantage there. I don't know, does Michigan have a bye week before that game? I haven't looked at their schedule. Um, but I you know, Eric also alluded to the fact that by the time October 20th rolls around, you're done flying to the East Coast. You know, your furthest trip is going to be up to Seattle. So it's a nice schedule. Um, you know, I've never been to Michigan. I've never been to Minnesota. So I'm looking forward to those. I'm looking forward to those games. And Michigan, has, Michigan has Arkansas State right before USC, but Texas right before that. So they'll, they'll have a uh... – They'll have a big game, just like USC will have a big game a couple weeks before it. Mark, correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe I misinterpreted something, but did, did you say if, if if there's an LSU game? Uh, Eric and I were talking before the, the Washington game, and the way USC kind of released the schedule, um, Eric kind of noticed there was maybe – maybe it was just a typo that uh, LSU's name wasn't on that uh, – just no, just interesting. Like USC just released the Big Ten schedule without without sort of reconfirming all of those non conference dates 
it USC still hasn't changed. Utah State, right, has announced Utah State, USC. USC's ticket thing pop-up still shows San Jose State, which was the the previously scheduled game for there. So not uh just when they announced this schedule, they didn't announce it with all of the non-conference games included in there. I'd be pissed if this game isn't on the schedule. I'll just I mean, lots lots of reasons why you don't do that. It, it was only the Big Ten announcing its schedule. USC only announced its Big Ten schedule. All right, I'll, uh, I'll be uh, somewhat short on this. I, I looked at the schedule. I looked at November, and I said, wow, they're like, I think Mark maybe pointed out, just going up to Washington uh, and staying on the West Coast. I mean, you couldn't ask for anything better than that. And then it's a bye week after Washington. Uh, I tell you, the happiest person I think has got to be the USC ticket department. When you're bringing in uh, Wisconsin, that brings a boatload of fans. Penn State will bring a boatload of fans. Nebraska will bring a boatload of fans. And obviously Notre Dame uh, will bring fans. So all in all, I think it's a really tough schedule. I really do. Uh, Now, I will say this. uh, I don't mean to tantalize everybody here, but I did talk to somebody inside the USC football program who actually thought, now you can disagree with this all you want, that there was a good chance, possible good chance, because uh, I said, are you sure about this? They said, yeah, that that um, Caleb Williams could return next year if he doesn't like the um, draft status for himself. And I said, well, isn't that kind of a done deal? And he says, no, I wouldn't say so necessarily. So if you hold out hope for that, maybe it'll come true. I wouldn't bet the farm on it, but it was good food for thought. I wouldn't uh, bet the mortgage payment on that one. No, no, but it was interesting from who I heard it from. Uh, okay, we again strongly encourage those of you watching inside the Trojans Huddle on sites like YouTube to click on the like and red subscriber buttons. It's greatly valued and appreciated. It's free. And you can also listen to Inside the Trojans Huddle on many available podcast sites. Be sure to check out wearesc.com and become a premium member. All right, third quarter kickoff. Here we go. It's time for the Big Ten Lightning Round. In quick responses, we give the panel an assortment of questions with quick responses. We'll go in this order, Mark, Eric, Chris, and myself. All right, guys, here we go. Question one, yes or no? Against Oregon, Caleb Williams will throw for over 350 yards, three touchdowns, one running TD, and throw no interceptions. Mark? No. Eric? Eric? He shook his head no. I don't think he actually wants to say the words. Well, I, no. People on the podcast might have a hard time. No, I'm, self, I'm self-bleeping it. Yeah. <laughs> I'll go ahead. I'll go ahead and say the word. Nope. Nope. Okay. I, I say no. Question two. Yes or no? Against USC, Ducks quarterback Bo Nix will throw for over 350 yards, three touchdowns passing, one rushing TD, and throw no interceptions. Mark? I'm going to say no because he will throw an interception. Eric? I think that too, but I think he gets those other numbers. Kalen DeBoer did not try to win Michael Penix, the Heisman, against USC. Dan Lanning will get Bo Nix a bunch of cheap throwing yards in this one. Absolutely will. He's getting the numbers and the interception. That's why they know. Chris? Yeah, I, I agree with the guys. I think he'll hit all those other numbers, but he'll probably throw one pick. But 
USC hasn't had a lot of interceptions this year, so he may actually pull it off, which is really depressing. I say uh, no on this one uh, because I think he'll throw his interception. Uh, question three, yes or no, against Oregon, the Trojans will rush for over 125 yards. Mark? Yes. Eric? I think so, yeah. Chris? No. Uh, I think they will, but it, it'll take all four quarters to get there. Question four, yes or no, against USC, Oregon will rush for over 250 yards. Mark? My heart talking, no. Eric? No. Chris? If Grinch were still there, they would get that in the first half. But I think I think that, that the new co-defensive coordinators, their primary focus is going to be not to allow that. I'm going to say no. And I will say no, although I still think they will, but I'm going to say no. Question five on Saturday, which team, USC or Oregon, will have the most turnovers? Mark? Ty. Eric? Uh, I'm going to say both and a tie. Is that how we do this, Greg? We just we just pick all the answers. We just go as it says. Perfect. <laughs> uh, I, USC is going to have more. Caleb Williams has put the ball on the ground a lot this year. If it's wet and rainy up there and trying to do a lot, I, I could see that ball coming out a, a bit. Chris? Uh, USC will have more, both because the reason Eric just gave, and also because it's going to be it's going to be loud, and that Oregon defense is aggressive, which means Caleb Williams going to have guys all over him, and that means interceptions are likely too. Uh, I say USC. Uh, question six on Saturday: Which team will have more penalty yardage, USC or Oregon? Mark. USC. Eric. Oregon. Chris. Oregon will have more yards. USC will have eight false starts, but Oregon will have six taunting penalties. <laughs> uh, I think that uh, Oregon will because they'll be way aggressive in this one to try to make a statement how physical they are. Question seven, Saturday's game at Oregon will feature at least one confirmed targeting call, Mark. No. Eric? No. Chris? I hope we get four, and I hope they're all in the first half. <laughs> I think there will be one targeting call. Uh, yes or no, night weather will play a factor in Saturday's Oregon-USC game. Mark? No. Eric? Uh, night weather is, is, is new to me. <laughs> I answer that one. <laughs> I heard that right, right? Night weather. You need to check the you the WRSC travel guide to get right. the, in the weather. So the we, the weather at night. I'm not just it's not just turning from day to night is considered weather. Well, the humidity changes. Good point, Eric. Got it. Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, it's supposed to rain, right? I mean, it, that that'll affect it. Yeah. Well, if you consider forty two percent chance of rain, I would think so. Uh. I think it will become a factor at some point if it really rains. Do I get to talk, Greg? I mean, did you skip me on purpose? Because you knew I was going to make fun of your question. Well, I, I, was, I, I could already hear the Oregon fans go, skip him. Just skip. Don't I'm, let him talk. <laughs> Chris, what do you think? What do you think? Well, I, I Googled night weather. and I'm only on page two, but Google doesn't have a definition of it. 
<laughs> and the reality is it doesn't matter what the oh, weather go to is. Weather.com. Weather.com. It, it could be the ice bowl or it could be like the weather at that Purdue game. It's not going to matter. What happens Saturday is going to happen no matter how hot or cold it is. Oh, you're still negative. Like, I know. You can make an onion cry. Uh, all right, question number nine. Uh, Lincoln Riley's new defensive coordinator will come from college or the NFL, Mark? Uh, another coin flip. College. All right, Eric? I think college. I think that Ward's kind of out on recruiting right now in college. And if you have a home in the NFL, that might that might be a place to stay. Christopher? Um, College, both because you want a guy who's familiar with recruiting and familiar with the college game and because you can hire him faster. The NFL season goes on longer. Uh, I think it'll be from college, too. All right, last question, the bonus question. Besides USC football and college football in general, guys, what other sports league or team do you follow, Mark? Uh, NBA. NHL and Major League Baseball. But until the Lakers trade LeBron James, I'm not watching the NBA. So I'm down to and I'm going on record until the Dodgers get rid of Dave Roberts. I'm done watching them. All right. Aaron. So none. A lot of bo- sure. boycotting. So I'm down to the LA Kings and USA. Sorry, none. Okay. Let's see the Kings. <laughs> Eric. Uh I mean so I'm from San Diego, so the Padres. But the answer that people actually want to hear was uh South Pasadena Little League last year. We had we had three great teams. Uh, I coached two of them. So we had the the Sapphires, the Golden Gloves, and then my youngest, the Cute Puppies, was uh, oh, was their catching, team. Catching so, Kleenex, anyone? So those seasons are done. I don't know what the names are going to be this next season coming up, but but those were those were three teams to follow last year for sure. Chris, I'll watch NFL games. I'm not emotionally invested. I've given up just about everything else. I used to be a huge Lakers fan, huge Dodgers fan, but over the years, the only one that stuck with me that's still meaningful is USC football. And, and obviously that's been difficult. So I don't know. I mean, uh, it's probably good for uh, Lakers fans and Dodgers fans that I stopped rooting for those teams some years ago. All right. Uh, I'm a big baseball fan. Uh, I have Dodger season tickets. Uh, so that's kind of what I do, uh, away from USC football. And, uh, I've been going to Dodger games since 1959. Uh, first game saw Campanella, uh, night. And so that's kind of stuck with me. And, uh, that's kind of the way it is. Now, before we head into the fourth quarter, we are going to light the symbolic WeRSC.com inside the Trojan Huddle. Fourth quarter, lighting of the symbolic uh, Coliseum torch, a tribute to USC home games when the famed Coliseum torch is lit between the third and fourth quarter of every home game. While the torch burns, a reminder to all of you uh, recruitaholics, don't forget to watch WeRSC.com's weekly recruiting show, Recruiting Roundup, with nationally respected Scott Trader the best in the business, and host Dylan Brazier. And a reminder as well to watch Friday's Four Down show with moderator Eric McKenney, 
along with Greg Katz, bringing you the latest info on USC's next opponent, the Oregon Ducks, and sponsored by Price Pick. All right, now, third quarter, we made a little switch here by request of uh, the panel. We're going to try something different. Hopefully, it's going to work out well. A lot of responses on viewer questions this week, as you can imagine. Uh, so we kind of flip-flopped uh, predictions to overtime, viewer questions for third quarter. So a reminder, uh, here we go. We're going to take your questions. If you have, if we have answered some of these questions, we're going to give credit to the person who took the time to send in their question. And if we've answered it, we're just going to move on to the next one. So let's begin here. This is question one from Trojan Sigma in Lincoln Heights. I know it's beating like a dead horse, uh, but will we see any changes regarding the D against Oregon? Nickel coverage kept getting burned on out flat routes off trip sets. Thank you. I think we covered our thoughts on the uh, defensive changes and some of the uh, uh, nuances of the formations and so on and so forth. But we thank you uh, for your question. Question two from Trojan Forever in Philadelphia. I don't think it's a question, but we're going to put it in anyway. He says, although the outcome of the game was disappointing, the long trip from Philadelphia is worth it because I got to meet and shake hand, shake the hand of Chris Arledge. Fight on, Chris. Did you have a good and, well, talk? Well, fight on to you, Trojans forever. I mean, this is, uh, look, this is the beauty of, uh, of going to the Coliseum. You can watch USC play no defense, but maybe you get to shake my hand. So it's uh, all worth it in the end. Boy, no, no question about that. No. Question three from M. Greg in Orange County. After last year, Lincoln Riley said he was going to get more involved with the defense and the changes would be made. His quote unquote improvements has not result- resulted in uh, improvement. USC's lack of physicality and problems on defense may be a byproduct of Lincoln Riley's philosophical approach to football. And I have serious concerns about his willingness to make the necessary changes and his ability to correct, diagnose the problem. Do you think USC made an error? in signing Lincoln Riley to a 10-year contract and effectively eliminating his coverage. We answered, I think, the first part of the question. He made the, he made a change with uh, Grinch. But, guys, do you think SC made an error in signing Lincoln Riley to a 10-year contract and effectively eliminating its leverage? Thoughts? No. 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 Okay. That's how long contracts are if you want a guy like that. Hindsight is always twenty twenty, but at the time uh, – it was, I think, a good thing at the time. Uh, question four from Bobby T. It up. SC is essentially paying CLR $11 million a year to coach one side of the ball. Should our new AD sit him down and read him the riot act? Comments? I don't think Riley's going to sit there and take a lecture from Jim Cohen. I think that, go back to that last question. Right. 10 years, $11, 12000000 million a year. He ain't going anywhere. He'll get up and walk out and go back to his office. That's that's what he can do. He, I mean, he wants to win. He doesn't want to score points and lose sixty-five to to fifty-eight or whatever. It's does he see now what he needs to do? But Jen Cohen telling him is is not going to do anything. And she's she's right there with him. She wants him to do well. She's she's gonna help in any way but i don't think that uh i don't i don't necessarily think he needs that yeah she might have given him the wink and the nod that you know that kind of thing do it but that's about as riot as it got in that office 
All right, question five from Redondo Beach SC. Hey, Greg, at least Lane and Sark both have top 10 ranked teams and both are competing for the respective conference championships in the playoff. The football gods are cruel, my friend. Uh, okay, directed at me, comment. I'm glad both Lane and Sark aren't coaching USC football. Uh, I don't care whether they win a championship or not. They, uh, It wasn't their time at, at USC, and I wouldn't want them back either. Sark's uh, not winning a championship. Sark will Sark. Just wait. Just give him time. No, that's a Sarky comment. Uh, question six uh, from Scott in Gilbert, Arizona. Hi, panel. Do you have any information from the meeting Jen Cohen had with House of Victory regarding our NIL approach to paying upfront money to top high school players? Comments? You read them the riot act. No, I have no idea. I have no idea. I assume that the other two don't have any ideas. So, I mean, USC is not going to publicly run out there and go, hey, guys, we're going to give a bunch of money to high school kids now. Let's go. Let's do all of it. They're they're not they're not going to say that. High school players know how they can get money through NIL by going to USC. It's it's the way it's going to go for now. I think there is a push to make it kind of easier to have them understand and and to get it there. The suitcases and bags of money and all that that USC fans want to see they're they're not going to publicly come out and say, "Hey, we're we're doing this now." All right, question seven from Blade Runner and Tejas. I didn't quite understand this, but perhaps you guys will understand it. My 10-year-old nephew wants to rush for 100 yards in the first quarter. How can I speak it into existence? Make him the defensive coordinator of your 10-year-old's next team he plays. (laughs) Is your nephew big and fast? I don't know. I mean, maybe the kid has a shot. There you go. Question eight from Trojans fan from the Valley. Panel. Will the latest loss finally show CLR? He yes. Needs- yeah, the answer to this is yes. Yes. Yeah. We he already fired, know the answer. He fired him, Trojans fan from the Valley. There you go. He got him. This just in. Uh, question nine from Gupo and Polanka. How adversarial has the relationship between Riley and the media become? I understand losing hurts, but Riley is so defensive, no pun intended, when he faces the media now, isn't he? All right, comments. I don't know. You ever seen Bill Belichick or Nick Saban talk to the media after a loss? <laughs> Whatever. Doesn't matter. He just needs to win football games, which he's not winning enough of right now. I, I don't know if I'd call it adversarial. I mean, I understand the question. I get it. But right now, it's just Lincoln Riley's words are coming back to kind of bite him. You know, it's not like we're doing anything to say, oh, gotcha. It's like, no, you said this. How do you want to respond to it today? Mark went Lincoln Riley with the I understand the question. I did that on purpose. Yeah, that was good there. Uh yeah, it's not it's not uh adversarial. Lincoln Riley does Lincoln Riley is very guarded in everything he says because in his mind, every word he says to the media is the potential to help a future opponent beat him. And so it comes across as Sort of how can I circle back to the same things that I'm comfortable saying? And he just doesn't want to give he doesn't want to give any information out. And so it can come across as when he says, you know, no, it's not what it it's not what you're seeing, 
he doesn't then want to say what he's seeing because that's sort of self-scouting and giving that out there. I, it doesn't always come across great. And you understand completely that fans get fed up with a lot of it. But again, we heard about that kind of the second he was hired. Hey, best, best of luck. He is going to stiff arm the media every opportunity he can because it's his program against everybody else. And like Chris said, if you win a bunch of games, Alabama fans love Nick Saban for it. I mean, it's if if you win enough, you can kind of do whatever you want in in that regard. Yeah, I think Mark brings up a good point. Be careful what you say. Your words will come back to bite you, almost like in a courtroom. You know, before when they say anything you say could be held against you. And I think Riley uh, either, I don't think he means to have it come back and bite him. But comments like, I'm going to work on the defense or we're two snaps away from being undefeated in the conference, those have a way of coming back. So, you know, winning kind of shuts all that up. Uh, although I will say he's very cordial. He's he's not a jerk per se most of the time. Uh, I've been around other USC football coaches in my 62 years of being around USC football where I can't say that uh, others, there's been some that have really are pills let's put it that yeah, way I think nice. I think there's really only been maybe one or two questions that have clearly gotten under his skin and he's even answered those like forcefully but not I mean you you see some college coaches just what's your name call them out and just go at them for minutes in some of these press conferences and and Riley certainly has not done that I'm a man I'm 40 that's it I, I think this is the first time in his career that he's being questioned about not just the defense but now he's being questioned about his offense and that i think has caught him a little bit by surprise and i'll take it a step further i think he's being questioned about the program is hiring everything about is under under scrutiny right now fair or unfair but i think uh this that's you know he's he's in a position where he's under the spotlight in la and that's going to happen all right, two more questions, guys, and then we're going to move to overtime. Uh, this is from USC husband and UCLA wife. Even though Henry Kissinger is 100 years old and has studied for many years in uh, college, he has football eligibility left. I confirm this with his people. If UMass Minutemen sign him as a 5'6", 230-pound running back before our bowl game with him, how many yards does he rush uh, against Alex Grinch's defense? We don't have to worry about about it because there will be no Alex Grinch defense. Yeah. We'll never know, sadly. We'll never know, sadly. All right, question 11, our final question. Uh, That's the longest question I've ever seen, Greg. No question about that. Uh, From Trojans 2021 in Chicago, I know this is a very disappointing season. Wasting a talent like Caleb is just indefensible. With that being said, lots of great coaches go through a midlife coaching crisis. Brian Kelly went 4-8 one year made major changes, and then had five, ten win seasons in a row with two playoff appearances. Nick Saban, to not a so severe extent, was losing some games because he couldn't score, then hired Lane Kiffin, and then became an offensive juggernaut. Also, Jim Harbaugh couldn't get over the hump of beating OSU, Ohio State, and then hired Connor Stallions. Lots of laugh. Connor Stallions is the one who was dismissed because of the um, illegal scouting practices. 
The point I'm trying to make is that Riley so far in his career has been not a great, but very good coach and has been in coaching purgatory because of a great offense, hiding a bad defense and him not having a bad season until now uh, to really make massive changes. What is your confidence on a scale of one to 10? One being it's over Riley uh, is Clay Helton. 10 meaning Riley's going to hire a top rated DC and win championships. Call me an optimist, but I'm guessing an 8.5 because Riley had his career pretty much on the line and has to get it right. He will also have a massive budget to hire anybody he wants. Long-winded, any comments? I think I actually answered this question earlier in the show. Yep. Yes, you did. Uh, I think that we all covered it, but I understand, we understand your concern. He's already taken out... Uh, uh, Alex Grinch, I think he understands he's got eight more years of a multi-million dollar contract that he's got to produce. And I'm so- at an 8.52. Put it, that, that's the question. That's my number. All right. I'm going to hold you to that, Eric. There you, you go. Said it, those words will come back to bite you. A reminder. 8.5 is the number of pages it took to write that question. <laughs> a reminder again. If you have a question or comment through our panel, go to the WeRSC message boards, click on the thread that pertains to inside the Trojan Subtle viewer que- or listener questions. Here we go. Overtime, Pac-12 predictions. Panel, it's time uh, to predict the winners from Pac-12 teams in action this weekend. We'll go in the order of Chris, Mark, Eric, and myself. All right, these are all Saturday games. Number 23, Arizona at Colorado, 11 a.m. Pac-12 networks. Arizona's a nine-and-a-half point Favorite, Chris, who are you picking? Arizona is a good football team. Colorado is not. Arizona big. Mark. Yeah, got Arizona. Eric. I mean, Arizona would, would beat USC if they played 10 times, beat them six times, right? I mean, that that's a really good team. USC got them at a good time. Arizona, yeah, by, by a bit. Yep, Arizona. Number 13, Utah at number five, Washington, 12.30 p.m., Fox. Washington's a 10-point favorite. Chris? Washington's going to win the game, and I don't think it'll be close. Utah's not very good this year. They're just not. That'll be an easy win. Okay. Mark? Yeah. Take Washington. Eric? I think it'd be close if it was in Salt Lake City. I think I think Washington wins. The game was oh. close in Salt Lake City. What's that? The Oregon game that was in Salt Lake City, that was thirty-three to six. I think. Yeah, Washington. I think I. I mean, I know Oregon and Washington played. I think the how those two teams are right now is different than than when they played. I agree with that. It's just hard. It's hard to beat a good team when you have no offense at all. Yeah, I'm picking Washington. Washington State at Cal, one p.m. ESPN two. Cal is a one and a half point favorite. Chris. I'm going to go with the Bears. I don't know. I'm going to go with the Bears. Cal took a beat down last week, though. That scares me. Yep. Mark? Yeah, I'm going to take Wazoo because the Bears took a beat down last week. Eric? No, they're both going to lose. Wow, that's a new one. Yeah. I'm going to pick Cal, even though they got destroyed uh, because the game's at Cal, and I don't think Washington State is not really all that good anymore. 
Stanford at number 12, Oregon State, 2.30 p.m., Pac-12 Networks. Oregon State's a 20-point favorite. Chris? I don't think we need to spend a lot of time on this one. Oregon State, easy. Mark? Agreed. Eric? Yeah. Yes. Okay. 8.5. Okay. Uh, Oregon's outpick Oregon State. Uh, ASU at UCLA, 6 p.m., Pac-12 Networks. UCLA's a 16-point favorite. Chris? Yeah, Bruins will win this one. Mark? I think the state of Arizona sweeps UCLA this year. Wow. Ooh, Eric? Yeah, UCLA. And I'll take UCLA. And, of course, last but not least, our Cardinals go for these, by the way. Yeah, go ahead. Wait a minute. You're you're not just coming out with that outrageous prediction. You actually want to argue it for a little while? I'm just wondering if we're keeping score of our predictions. We do this every week. so uh, I've been keeping score. Your percentage has been terrible, Mark. Uh, let's, we should just let it go. Okay. Uh, finally, USC, unranked USC, at number six, Oregon, 7.30 p.m., Fox. Oregon's a open a 14.5-point favorite, actually. Chris? I put in my article this week that this wasn't going to be a football game. It was going to be a public execution. And even with Grinch gone, I still think that's probably right. I just don't, I just don't see it being close as badly as I want it. Mark. Uh Oh, Mark's muted. muted. I'm muting it on purpose. (laughs) Oh, he doesn't want to say it. (laughs) Get it out of your system, Mark. You'll feel better. Oregon's going to win. All right. Eric? Yeah, it feels crazy to give this USC offense, like, no chance in this game to to win. But that that defense is going to be all over them on the outside, I think. They, they're so aggressive there. And then the USC defense is, is – kind of going to be what it is. I think 14 and a half is probably about right. It's really ominous that the Oregon fans are being instructed to wear black to this game. Just the, the funeral aspect of that is uh is a little a little intimidating, but you never know. You go up and play. Again, with this offense, you take it up there and you tell Caleb Williams those guys over there don't think you're very good and uh and you let them go. Well, I'm taking Oregon. There's a lot of factors. I think Lanning will be trying to get uh, Bo Nix the uh, Heisman Trophy. So no matter what the score, he'll probably still be in there throwing or running in the fourth quarter. I think Oregon is going to try to, and Lanning especially, is going to try to send out a message to all recruits that are watching the game that this is how big a margin there is between Oregon and USC. Uh, So there'll be no mercy there will be absolutely no mercy, but SC, I'll say, might have a puncher's chance, but I don't see it. Uh, Oregon all the way. Uh, all right. So once again, if you enjoyed Inside the Trojan Huddle, please click on the like and red subscriber buttons. We greatly appreciate your support. Be sure to check out wersc.com. Become a premium subscriber. That'll do it for Tuesday's edition of Inside the Trojan Huddle. Reminder to watch four downs on Friday and five things on YouTube following Saturday. Uh, evening game uh, with USC at Oregon. Till next Tuesday when we review the Oregon game, preview the UCLA game, 
a new Big Ten lightning round in all things USC football. Big thank you again to our great panelists, Mark Culkin, Eric McKenney, Chris Arledge, and a special thank you to all of you for your watching or listening to Inside the Trojans Huddle. Have a great week. Beat the Ducks. And until next Tuesday, this is your moderator, Greg Katz, reminding all of you to fight on, everybody.